0: In today's show, we look at all of the games from Thursday. There were six of them. We talk about waiver wire trends, some thumb injury news, which you are all hanging out for, I'm sure, Michael Bolton. Thanks, Josh. It's Michael Bolton here, and it's time for another episode of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast. Let's get to it. Let's get to it, indeed. You are locked on fantasy basketball. Your daily fantasy basketball podcast part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd and I am the lead fantasy analyst at basketballmonster.com and you can find me on Twitter as always at redrock underscore b-ball, on TikTok at redrock underscore b-ball, and on Instagram at lockedonfantasybasketball. Today's episode is brought to you by LinkedIn. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the qualified candidates that you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash LockedOnNBA. Thank you also for making Locked On Fantasy Basketball your first listen every day. We are free and available on all platforms. A reminder, trade deadline live show, Thursday, February the 9th, 1.30 p.m. Eastern. I want to hit at least 200 pre-show likes on that video. So if you go ahead to the video, find it. Hit the thumbs up on it. You can leave comments on it as well. Um, it's going to be great. We're going to go for two hours or so, breaking down all the deadline news, um, information as it happens, immediate reactions, that sort of stuff. It's going to be a great show. Um, it's going to be brought to you by me and, and me only. Really, there'll be other people on, I'm sure. We'll get other guests on. Still trying to dig through all that at the moment. But if you can go over there, give it some visibility, share it around, bookmark it, like it as well to get it out to more people it would be awesome. All right, so that is uh, that's that out of the way. Let's, let's talk some news. he? Let's get it on, Gilly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thumb update. Christian Wood will be reevaluated in one week. Jason Kidd said it's like a week-to-week thing. We've already had him out for a week, which is what they said initially. Now he's going to be out for at least another week. Interesting that they're going the week-to-week route when other players have been like, let's just give it four weeks. Also, um, obviously, we've seen what happens in Dallas. There's more developing in Dallas at the moment with another injury to perhaps... I was going to say perhaps their best player, their obvious best player, Luka Doncic, with an ankle injury, but the Wood situation just gives a little bit more of that streaming value to Dwight Powell. We had another thumb update, thumb Thursday. Michi Robinson is out at least four more weeks. That's not very good, is it? Again, that's going to make it all the way through All-Star after the All-Star break when he returns. um, Right into pushing up to the start of uh, fantasy playoffs. It's going to make it very, very tough. It's going to make it very tough to hold him without injured slots. If you don't have the injured slots, I'm not sure how you could hold someone like Robinson through that long. That's a problem, isn't it? That's at least four more weeks, according to James Dolan today. At least four more. Huh. That's something to watch. Lou Dort is out tomorrow. And then most of the other things we've updated on. There's a couple of things I want to talk about. And if you don't want to hear me rant or talk shit about stuff, I'm not going to do that much on the All-Stars, to be honest. But I, do, I want a couple of things to talk about. The All-Star starters were announced today. I didn't have too many um, issues with it, to be honest. Like, I think... yeah, Zion, I think, has missed probably a little bit too much time there. Anthony Davis, is I think, had a better season and is now back playing. I would have had him in there over Zion. I even had Sabonis in my starters when I did them a week or two ago. I don't have too much of a problem with Zion being in there. I, I, I don't think in the East that uh, the Kyrie should have been a starter. Um, and some of the pushback on that is, is wild. I just I just don't think... I didn't even have him in my all-star team. I think he's been pretty good. I don't think he's been that good. I had Harden in there. I would have had Jalen Brown ahead of him. I would have had Tyrese Halliburton ahead of him as a guard in the Eastern Conference. But um, sometimes the, the the discussion around Kyrie gets so weird. I just said, I wouldn't have had Kyrie as a starter. Someone said, well, that's because you've got five booster shots. Let Kyrie do what he wants with his body. Bro, what are you talking about? I, I just don't think he's been as good as those other players. And then someone else was saying things like, yeah, but it's because Harden's missed a month and Kyrie and Jalen Brown have played the same amount of games. Uh, Well, that's also untrue because Kyrie's played five more games than Harden and seven fewer games than Jalen Brown. But Kyrie has this, I don't know, like the players and the fans both voted Kyrie number one ahead of Donovan Mitchell, which is crazy to me. It's crazy to me that he was in there as a starter and voted by two factions as as the best guard. That is insane to me. But anyway, it's also crazy to me the, bull, uh, the players voted Bulls guard, guard, DeMar DeRozan as the fourth best guard when literally he never plays a second of guard and, and it's not the fourth best anyway. That was your sus not too worried about that. Like, it's, it's okay. All these guys that miss out, Jalen Brown and Tyrese Halliburton and James Harden, I guess, or DeMontis Sabonis. they're going to make it. Yeah, Anthony Davis, they're going to make the team. It's, not a, it's not, a, not a big deal. The thing that I wanted to just spend a minute or two on here is the, the Shaq. Thing on TNT the day talking about the Lakers trade of Rui Hachimura and Shaq making a comment saying, "I don't even know who that is. I don't know him at all. Um, I don't know any player who's not a top ten player. Um, I never watch the Wizards or the Bullets who would bother watching it." Right. That was that was the gist of his comments. And we know who we know Shaq. Oh, there, he's there for comedy. Josh, that's all well and good. Is that is that actually funny though? Like, where's where's the where's the funniness in that? Why are we promoting? Laziness and anti-intellectualism. Shaq, Shaq probably does know who Rui Hachimura is, although I'm sure he couldn't give me any sort of nuanced breakdown of who he is as a player and what he's like. I'm sure he couldn't do that, but I'm sure he has heard of him. Where's the comedy? What's the point on a pre-game show? The NBA's Preeminent pregame show, and it's not even a situation where it's Chuck and Shaq going back and forth with banter. Shaq's on there with Jamal Crawford and Candace Parker, talking. Like, wh- why do we find th- why do we find this acceptable? And I know plenty of us don't. Why do we find it acceptable that someone whose job is to be there to talk about a game where the trade involved involving the biggest franchise worldwide known, and, and there's a player coming there, and you haven't done a you don't you claim you don't know the player's name? Like, I don't expect everybody to know all 450 players in the NBA. But I expect if you're working in NBA media that you do. That is that is a baseline ex- expectation. If I can do it, you can do it, Shaq. Or anyone can do it. Like, the, the, the fact that and then you go out there and then the people worry, oh man, the NBA only matters in the playoffs. Um, it's a star-driven league. Yeah, because of this foolishness, because of the way that the game is being promoted, why would I want to watch the Wizards? Oh, I don't know, because there's good players that play on all teams and there's quality basketball and we can promote this stuff. Oh, the NBA regular season doesn't matter. Yeah, because it's being promoted that not, no one cares about anyone unless you're one of 10 players in the NBA, which is a such a ridiculous promote. Oh, it's all well and good. It's fun. Yeah, but these things... These little um, points seep through people's brains. Unless you're deep in it like me, and a lot of you are as well, very deep in it, we see through it and go, Shaq, what are you talking about? This is ridiculous. Like This is insane to have this thought process. How do we do this? But that's not everybody that consumes the NBA. In fact, it's the majority of people. The majority of people who consume the NBA aren't like that. So they sit there and watch it and go, oh, Shaq, yeah, the Wizards, L. why would I watch them? Huh? I can never watch them. And, oh, terrible teams. Uh, as, unless you've won rings or you're all-star, I don't care about any of you guys. Nothing matters here until we get the best on the best. Like nothing else matters in the entire league unless it's a top 10 player. And even though it's Shaq saying it, we can call him a goofball. Having that stuff thrown at you every every week, something like, I don't care about these teams. I don't. This team doesn't mean anything. I'll never watch this team. I don't know these players' names. It breeds that into, it's a lack of professionalism, a lack of care around the entire organization. And honestly, NBA, it's a shocking look. It's a dreadful look. And I know I say this probably once a year. It's embarrassing. It should be embarrassing. It's embarrassing for me as someone who covers the league that I have to then sit there and I have to push back against ill-informed opinions of people talking about the league because they see someone like Shaq, who's genuinely a legend and it seems like an absolutely fantastic bloke, in terms of what he does in his life and the way that he is with people and all that sort of stuff, he seems like an awesome bloke, right? But this, as in pre-game analysis, is ridiculous. And you know what? You can actually be funny talking about the NBA and know something about it. You, you can do that. The funny doesn't have to be, oh, they're all shit and, and I don't know them. like that, that. You can do jokes. You can eat very easily. Hey, half of this show is based on on loose, loosely on somewhat what some might call humor but I also know every single thing about every single player in the NBA that currently plays I know everything about him but I also make jokes like it is easy to be doing am I at the same level as TNT of course I'm not I'm not saying that I'm not saying I should take Shaq's job but it's a basic level of care that the NBA and TNT and Shaq should be doing to even if you do know that player like to pretend that you don't it's a strange business model and if you don't know anything about these teams get the fuck off my TV seriously what is the point of any of this stuff? And I know I, I don't know why it fires me up so much. But, and then it fires me up more when people come in. How can you take it so seriously? What? Why, why wouldn't you? When it is my job as well. And I feel like I don't have a job to promote the league. But I also think I do have somewhat of a job being in some sort of a media position to have some level of promotion of the league. I feel like that is part of my job that's not implicitly stated, but I think it is. And then that is the end of that rant. Because that it annoys me. Maybe it doesn't annoy you and you don't care and you fast-forwarded through all of that. And by all means, that is your choice. But I wanted to get that off my chest. And now, today's episode is brought to you by LinkedIn. If the people at TNT are looking for new hosts for their show, maybe they want to surround themselves with the team members to give them success. Maybe they should advertise on LinkedIn Jobs. With LinkedIn Jobs, you can hire qualified candidates more efficiently by matching open jobs or open roles with people who have the skills, the knowledge, and the experiences to name all 450 players in the NBA to help you achieve your goals. LinkedIn Jobs helps you quickly attract qualified candidates to your open jobs with targeting tools. They go beyond resume data by using insights from your job post, your company, NBA rosters, and their 875 million member profiles to put your post in front of the most qualified candidates. the most qualified candidates on LinkedIn jobs by simply asking them the question, who does Chris Middleton play for? And if they answer it correctly, well, there you go. There's your host. LinkedIn Jobs makes it easier to screen and rate applicants based on your job qualifications all on one platform. It's why small businesses rate LinkedIn Jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the qualified candidates that you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on MBA. That's linkedin.com slash locked on MBA to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Let's talk about the waiver wire. The most added players over the last 24 hours. Denny Abdiah. Up 17%. He was pretty good in game two. I still think Gafford is the better option over Abdia. But it's totally okay to add him. Brandon Clark up 16%. I don't think we expect 32 minutes a night from Clark. I think the Warriors matchup was very specific. But I think he is the guy over Tillman pretty clearly. But don't be surprised if Tillman plays 27 minutes against Gobert next game. Don't be surprised. Jimmy Sohan up 12%. Yeah except that he didn't play today. But that that was a right move. Isaac Okora up 11%. That is um, solely to do with the back-to-back and the three games in four nights. It didn't work particularly well today, but you get three games for the price of one. So let's add it up after the totality of those games. I definitely wouldn't drop him if I added him and I had limited waiver ads. Because that's why you added him in the first place. Dario Sharich up 10%. Well, with DeAndre Ayton back, that's probably not going to be quite as successful. We'll talk about that one later. Seth Curry up 9%. It was the right move. Unfortunately, he didn't play today with that knee issue. I still think out of O'Neal and, and Harris and Warren, he looks like the best KD replacement, even though it will be up and down. KJ Martin up 8 I like it. And Zach Collins up 8%. Yeah, but he's definitely worth having for now and then stashing through the deadline to see what comes of it. In terms of the most dropped players, the tank, Tom Bryant... Number one, absolutely, no worries. No problem dropping him whatsoever. Anthony Davis is back, even though Davis is going to remain coming off the bench. Dad Bryant can be dropped. Larry Nance down 10%. I'm actually okay with it. There's, the upside for him is not really there. Nempar down 10%. Sure, Trey Murphy down nine. Najee Marshall down eight. And Herb Jones down six. All those Pelican guys are absolutely fringe players now without being must-roster guys with Ingram back. Gabe Vincent down seven. See you later. And then Dennis Smith down six percent. Smith, clear drop with LaMelo Ball and Gordon Hayward both back in action today. So let's talk about the games that we're going to talk about. Get into the six of them that are up on the slate. The first one, this one might be a long one. There is a lot to discuss, I think, with this Detroit Pistons game against the Nets. They win it, the Pistons, somehow. 130-122, um, and the Pistons made a change to their starting line. We did have the return of Isaiah Stewart and the return of Killian Hayes. And I said this a few times. I said, don't be surprised if they stay with Bay starting over Stewart because I don't think Isaiah Stewart's a starting five or is he a starting four? His role in the NBA is a backup. And I would like to see them try Bay and Duran together a little bit more. That's exactly what they did. And we'll talk about the front court implications first. Bay, 25 points in 32 minutes, five threes, nine rebounds. Very good stuff. Completely unrealistic for him to keep doing this. He's on a nice little hot streak, but he shot 63% from three. But the fact that he is starting now and post-game Dwayne Casey said something like, hey, I hated the way we were starting games out, so I wanted to make a change. It sounds like this lineup will stick for a little bit. Bear that in mind. I think it'll stick. So that will keep Bay from playing. Like, he played like 19 minutes a game when this team was healthy previously. Now he's going to be 30. That's useful enough. But remember, he's a points and threes sort of a player who can be really inefficient, but he's on a nice little shooting hot streak. Worth having a look at, but again, understanding the limitations of his game. What I think this does do is it does hurt Jalen Duren. And you look at that and go, Josh, he had 17 and seven with a steal and a block on 88%. He did. It's a fantastic game. There's no problem with that. Me saying that it hurts him doesn't mean that he can't still be good. And he still absolutely remains must-roster Jalen Duran. Don't get that confused. Jalen Duran is a must-roster player. But instead, I think of being a 31-minute-a-night player, I fear he's going to be limited to 27 to 29 minutes because they are not going to start Isaiah Stewart at the four. And I think they're only going to play Isaiah Stewart mainly as the backup five, which means in order for them to believe that they have still have something in Stewart, which they don't, but they for them to still believe that they do, they will still play him 20 minutes like they did today. 21 minutes for Stuart, 11-5 and five with nothing else. Now, one thing I do feel good about is jacking off Al Stewart. Get that garbage out of here! Shout out to Ailsa. I don't... In 30 minutes a night, Stuart wasn't a 12-team league guy. In 20 minutes, there's no fucking way. Like, I don't know. Sorry, swear words. Um, there's no way that we're holding on to him in a 20-minute-a-night role. And even if he pushes back to 30, he was a droppable bloke anyway. So, see you later, Isaiah. The thing, the thing there is it just hurts a little bit of that upside from Duran. Takes two to three minutes away, I think, from the upside from him. Um, and then the, the, the Bogdanovich, 11-6, well, and six, steal block, 27%. like Not a good night from him. That, that's totally fine. Then the other stuff that came in was interesting. Now, what we can look at this and go, Hamadou Diallo, 12-5 five and 5-4 five, steals and a block. Undeniably a really good line. But again, sometimes, like we like to get caught up in rankings, we like to get people get caught up in individual performances. And they'll see that and go, wow, uh, lineup change. Look at Diallo. That's great. I'm going to go at him. Eh, it's, his role changed nothing at all. It's exactly the same role as ever. There was no adjustment for him at all. So that performance was a, big, it was a big night. It was fluky. It's got nothing to do with a change in rotations or change in lineups or anything like that. So just be aware of that. The other change they made is they started Alec Burks. Yes, Alec Burks. Alec Burks. Over Killian Hayes. Now, there's a couple of things here. Now, I think Dwayne Casey is a dreadful coach. And I have for years and years and years. There's, that's no surprise to anybody watching this show. I think he's a bad coach. But I'm going to go out here and actually defend him a little bit here. Pushing Stewart to the bench as a backup center, 100% the right move. No problem. Now, while I do think Killian Hayes has been good, and outside of Bogdanovich, probably been their best player over the last three to four weeks. it might You might debate that. I think he's been probably their best player. I think he's still by far their best passer and he's their best perimeter defender. Again, I don't think there's really too much debate about any of that stuff. The shooting still is a problem for Hayes, but realistically, is Hayes, who is like, what, six months younger than Jaden Ivey? Like he's he's 21. Like he's not old at all. There's still plenty of room for him to grow. But what I've sort of seen in some limited samples is that Jaden Ivey, when he is running as the point guard, plays better. Jaden Ivey's upside is almost definitely higher than Killian Hayes's. Getting someone, like having Hayes and Ivy there together, neither of them can shoot, leads to some spacing problems. Alec Burks, all he can do is shoot. Not really true, but that's what he does. So getting the spacing of Burks in there, putting the ball in Ivy's hands, while, again, Hayes has been really good and really important. If I'm going to criticize him for making stupid moves, like starting Marvin Bagley, This move of getting the ball into Ivy's hands as a primary creator and getting spacing around him is actually a really strong move for development, I think. As much as I might hate it for me liking Killian Hayes as a player and thinking there's still a lot of untapped potential and his fantasy value, if I'm looking at this purely from a perspective of the value of these players or trying to improve the development, I actually think it's a bit of a W. Now, I'd still try and get Hayes and Ivy out there together as much as possible. And we saw that Ivy closed the game over, over um, Burks for his defensive ability. and His passing was really good. The, and um, Hayes' connection with Jalen Duren is really impressive. And so he's still going to get minutes. But putting the ball more into Ivy's hands, which you can also achieve by starting them together than splitting them up the way that they do with Mitchell and Garland in Cleveland. It's not a hard concept to do. Maybe it is for Dwayne. It's not a hard concept to do. So I'm not going to sit here and bash him for putting Burks in the lineup, and, because it does make a little bit of sense. Now I think we could see instead of the 30 minutes of Alec Burks, you have 26 minutes of Burks, and Hayes still get 30, and that could really work in a three-guard rotation. Do I add Alec Burks, who had 25 and four with three threes? He shot 67%, so that's obviously not real. But like in all 14-team leagues, I would add Alex Burks and Alec Burks, and I would consider it in 12-team leagues. Would I drop Killian Hayes? I don't think so. Not yet. Hayes had 25 minutes, 16, 5, and 3 with three steals. Shot 50%. That will come down. I'm not convinced that the 30 minutes Burks, 25 minutes Hayes is going to be the split each game. I think it's probably more going to be 27-27, 26-27, 28-26, whatever. More along those lines. Um, And there'll be some nights. And I think there still is a chance that Hayes pushes back ahead of Burks and they just try and make the two guards figure it out. So I'd consider adding Burks. I wouldn't drop Hayes, but it's not a great sign. And I would absolutely get rid of Isaiah Stewart. And I hope that covers all of that. I think that's probably the most we need to talk about for any team today. Um, And I hope that gets all my thoughts across clearly. Hope so. For the Nets. Um, Ben Simmons. Left after 20 minutes with knee soreness. He had seven assists. Missed all three of his shots. I have... I don't know if I've defended Ben Simmons. I probably have been less inclined to pile on Ben Simmons more than most people, but there's I don't know, I don't know. It, it feels like there is definitely something weird happening now. Really, knee soreness again. The way the team talks about it, like they don't, they are still supportive, but they're also like, come on, man. Like, what's actually going on with your knee? He is 104th in points leagues this season, Ben, and like, is it droppable? I, I don't think so. It's trending downwards like pretty clearly in a category league and in a points league. Although in a category league, he's still a top 100 player this season. But there are just frustrations building up a lot here. There was no Seth Curry in this one. So we got Edmund Sumner step up. He had 24 points in 19 minutes. Just don't read into that at all. And the big fella, Nick Claxton, he's unstoppable. He's had a career high in four straight games. 27 and 13 with two blocks on 85%. He never misses shots. Now it's not really coming because he's getting big usage. It's just alley-oops and putbacks, And he's just hitting them all. And he's playing more minutes. I don't even know if he's a sell high to be honest. While Kyrie had forty and six, 40 and five sorry with six assists, two steals, two blocks, and six triples. Really a fantastic game from Kyrie. His last two games have been unbelievably good um, with really good percentages. Joe Harris seven points in twenty two minutes. No reason to have him in a twelve. Tony Warren two points in eighteen minutes. He has gotten so bad. Like I don't know. He's gotten terrible. He was a guy that had no interest in, obviously, in grabbing or drafting until the Durant injury. And then when I said, all right, let's try him then, and then, uh, yeah, it all went to shit. You do not need to hold him in a 12 10 league, and you don't need to hold Royce O'Neal. Now, he did foul out, but nothing good is really coming from what he does. And is the upside actually even there? 3-3 three three with a steal, 14% shooting. I don't really think that's a must-hold player at all. Frustrating loss for the Nets without KD, for sure. Today's episode is brought to you by Fanjul. NFL playoffs are here, and we're really excited about our new sports betting partner for Locked On because they are the number one sports book in America, FanDuel. And if you're new to FanDuel, that's even better. They have so many great features that make betting on sports fun and easy. New customers, join today to get started with $150 in free bets guaranteed when you place your first $5 bet. Just sign up at on. FanDuel has all of your favorite bets from the money line to the spreads and to player props, and you can even combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with the same game parlay. If we look at NFL Championship Week, The Chiefs have now pushed out to one and a half point favorites. They were minus one this morning. They're one and a half point favorites now against the Bengals. While the Eagles, it's the same spread every day. Two and a half point favorites against the San Francisco 49ers. You can look at all those bets on an app that is safe, secure, and super easy to use. So football fans, don't miss out. Place your first $5 bet to get $150 in free bets, win or lose, at FanDuel.com. Make every moment war with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. And don't forget to gamble responsibly. Let's look at the second game, overtime. The Knicks, I don't really know how they were able to get this win over the Celtics. I don't think they scored for the first two minutes of overtime. I think the Celtics didn't score for about the last two minutes of overtime. The Knicks win at 120-117, the final score. The Tom Thibodeau center doesn't get usage situation. It's laughable now. 8% usage for Hartenstein, 2% usage for Jericho Sims. 2 and I remember last season that we saw this with Mitchell Robinson and Nerlens Noel, and he'd bring it up. And I said, that's why I'm a little bit worried about Hartenstein. And people said, no, no, no. It's because look at those centers. They're low usage centers. Well, now you're bringing in a guy like Hartenstein who had what, 20% usage for the Clippers? This offense is just ridiculous. Like this, they just never touch it. 7% usage for Hartenstein. That's high for a center in this offense. Anyway, the minute split that we saw last time didn't happen. 36 minutes for um, Jericho Sims in this one. You just made the list. He had two points because he took one shot, but he did have 14 boards and a block. That's what you have him for, while Hartenstein had four, six, and three. Randall, 37 and nine, continued to play really, really well. And Brunson had 29, four, and seven with two blocks, including one key one, right at the end. What about the rest of the guys? Quentin Grimes played 38 minutes. This briefcase and this haircut. And I know he's getting a lot of minutes, but you know what? Get that garbage out of here. It's so hard for a low usage player to maintain strong 12-team league value. And he can't do it. 5-4-1, 29% shooting, 175th for the season, 197th in points leagues, 226th over the last week. You can do a lot better than Quentin Grimes in 12-10 leagues. I'm calling it. Get rid of him. The Knicks went to how many minutes of small ball between Obi Toppen and Julius Randle, do you reckon? Would you just say zero minutes? you would be right. Again, he never does it. And that's why when the injury to Mitchell Robinson happened, I said that I don't see a boost to Toppen, and I don't see a boost to quickly, because they will have one center on the court, to do nothing, to never touch the ball offensively, he will be there at all points. That is how Thomas runs things. And that is how Thomas will run things until the day he dies. So quickly played 28 minutes and just did enough to make me go, oh, maybe, maybe, maybe we hold. 17, five and one, 28 minutes. Maybe. It's so hard to make an exact call on him because that, that's okay. But it's still only 28 minutes. He's just as likely to do nothing next game. I think he's probably a fringe stream 12 teamer. While Rowan Barrett, I'll plant my flag now on this. I'm I'm done. I'm over it with this bloke. I am. This is who he is. It never changes. And unless I see it for a full season, like Terry Rogier's mid-range shooting, which of course took me two years to buy into and then disappeared this season. Unless I see it for a full season, I'm never believing that Barrett is anything more than this. A guy that can score with subpart threes, rebounds, assists, steals, and blocks with bad percentages. It's what he is every game. Every season, whatever happens, it'll be a hot stretch. And then he like 19 points. Oh, that's great. And then four rebounds, one assist, 33% from the field. At least he went five of six from the line, but it's just the same stuff every time for him. Can he ever be a top 100 fantasy player in categories? The answer is almost definitely no, he never has been. In points leagues, it's all very good, but it's the same thing every single year for Barrett. And unless I see it for a year of it changing, I am not believing that it will. You can have whatever thoughts you want on it. I'm done. I'm done believing there's going to be something changed with him. For the Celtics, there was no Marcus Smart. So maximum Derek White played 28 minutes, 15, three and four, two blocks and four threes. He's fine to have now, but as soon as Smart comes back, I reckon we jack him real quickly because Brogdon actually played 35 minutes. 10, six and six on 29%. That's a rough shooting you know, for Brogdon, but more minutes than White. Again, very tough to look at White as any sort of long-term solution. Back on Rob Williams' watch, 36 minutes. That's where you get excited. Eight points, 12 rebounds, still and a block. Not that far off. He just isn't 80% from the field. Not that far off. This is what he is. Tatum had 35 and 14, while Jalen Brown was just bad with the shooting. He had 22 and nine, but bad from the field. Missed some key free throws as well. And that's sort of who Jalen Brown is as well a guy that you can't really rely upon for elite efficiency all the time and does struggle with some of his peripherals. Another stinker from Al Horford, six, four, and four. And every time he has these little runs, you go, well, am I done with Al Horford? And you look at it and go, well, the numbers would suggest I should be. 112th for the season, 131st over the last week, 131st for the season in the points league. And then he'll go out and have 12, 10, and five with two steals and hit four threes and do that for four games in a row. And you go, well, that was stupid of me. But in a head to head league where you know he's going to sit one of the back to backs, where you know there are significant cold streaks continually through the season with significant hot streaks, it's very hard to rely upon that sort of a player. It's very hard with the missed games, with the ups and downs. In a roto league, it's a lot easier to deal with. It's so much easier. But in a head to head category league, like I don't. In, in a points league, I'll see you later. Like there's no point holding him in a 12 10 points league. You get much more value streaming the waiver wire. But in a Category League, it is definitely a borderline decision to me. Because it's there's too many cold streaks and too many missed games to absolutely lock in and hold on to him with everything that you've got. I don't think you can do that. Grant Williams, you can get rid of him. There's no value in him at all. The Bulls and the, the Hornets. Sorry, the embarrassing Chicago Bulls. That's guy, I have to use their official title, you know. The embarrassing Chicago Bulls lose to the Hornets, 111-96. DeRozan, 28-3-5 with a steal. Shot poorly from the field. But I'm seeing so many of the things. Now, this is a... Hey, today's like story time, day. when I'm just going to get a lot of stuff off my chest. So I apologize for that. When DeRozan was signed and traded for the Bulls, I criticized the shit out of them. Right, I said DeRozan's a very solid player, but there are so many deficiencies in his game that it requires the defense to be built around him and the offense to be built around him in a specific way. Plus, you also gave up first-round picks in a sign-and-trade when he was a free agent. Like, what on earth are you doing? You're paying something extra for a player who's probably not that good and probably makes it really hard to take you to a new level. And then last year, he was unbelievable. He was so, so good. But of course, they got smashed out in the first round of the playoffs. And the same thing's happening again. And now I'm starting to see these things develop from bulls people. Like, DeRozan can't shoot threes. Needs the ball in his hands, can't defend at all. How do you build around that? It's very hard to do that, and he's not—he is not anywhere remotely close to the problem with this team. It's—it's almost—it's a bit Sabonis-y, whereas Sabonis can put great individual games, great individual performances, but the build around it can be very tough. And we'll see what happens with the Kings when they when they—they they are going to make the playoffs. When they make the playoffs, how that all works—the—the—the the, the difficulties around that is always what makes things interesting. Levine just like I don't know, is he good? I, I I don't actually know anymore. 18 and nine, two steals. Like that's not bad, but he hasn't been great this season. But what I what I am interested in is Pat Williams is improving. We're still not going to get it consistently. Like last game, we got nothing. But fifteen points, a triple one, five rebounds, top eighty over the last week, push into the top one fifty for the season in a points league. I don't think I'd worry about him in a twelve. But in twelve team category league, we're getting enough. The extra two to three minutes with Javante Green out, a little. One percentage point extra of usage is helping him. The point guard nonsense between Desumu, Caruso, and White. Again, it was a good game from Desumu. He had 12 and 4, but yeah, Caruso had two points with three steals. Kobe White had two threes and six points, nothing, but White played 26 minutes. There's just a whole bunch of nothingness, and none of those guys are 12-team league players. Alex Caruso's roster percentage using our advanced metrics at 78%, which is absolutely insane. Why is 78% of competitive 12 team leagues rostering him? That is nonsense. Please get rid of him. Well, Vooch had one of those patented Vooch stinkers, twelve and nine on thirty-one percent. He's still been good this season, but he has so many of these weird games. Like where he just can't hit any shots and never gets to the line. And then he'll have like the huge ones. And he is pretty inconsistent as well. I don't know where this team goes, honestly. I don't think they make a trade to blow it up because you know this front office signed and traded for DeRozan. they Resigned Zach Levine. They drafted Patrick Williams. They're not giving up on him a year and a half in, I don't think. For the Hornets, LaMelo Ball was back. First game back from the ankle injury, 37 minutes, 15, 11, and 8. Now, of course, he shot 13%, which is an unfathomably bad number. But at least the counting stats were okay. 9 of 10 from the line, also awesome. It could have been a huge game in his first game back. That stinks, though, that we got that bad uh, field goal percentage. Well, Gordon Hayward, another 25-minute night. Now, he scored 17 points on... 60%. He had two steals and a block. I'm not certain that he's a must-roster 12-team league player, but what I do know is that Jalen McDaniels can be dropped, as can Dennis Smith, without really any compunction at all. After being out of the rotation last game, with no explanation whatsoever, Mark Williams was back in, played 18 minutes, put up 10-6 and six with a steal on 100% shooting, and... Oh, hi, Mark. That's, that's pretty good. His status remains as a 14-team league guy with 12-team luxury stash. It remains the same. And then as soon as the trade deadline passes and they keep playing Mason Plumley 30 minutes a night, Mark Williams becomes a 12-team league drop. That's a simple equation. Mason Plumley how oh, without any shade to Mason Plumley at all. He is a bad defender, but he's playing unbelievably well. I don't know where this is coming from, but 21 and 12 on 100% shooting, being one of the stories of the season of how well he has actually played. Especially from a fantasy point of view, but of late also. Just the, the, the problem I have is what this organization is doing. Because you can see bad teams. But this, this team's starting lineup, Rogier, Ball, Haywood, Washington, Plumley. Where's the where are the young players they're developing? Like there's LaMelo. Where who where's the young players? Like who are they developing that's making them this bad? They're just bad. That that's that's the problem I have with this team. And with the Plumley minutes. Um, Paul Washington Jr. had nine points with a triple one. And some may maybe good, summertime it may be shit. He is still a 12-team league hold though. Alright. Let's talk about a team that shit house because. There's a lot of young players, and also because they're a dreadful organization with a bad coach. That's the Houston Rockets. They lose to the Cavs, 113-95. Mitchell was out, stunned. How how stunning is it to you that Donovan Mitchell sat this game out with a groin strain? I couldn't believe it when I heard about it. That after he strained his groin and said that he was going to be out multiple games, um, and then listed question whether well, he sat this one out. It's just staggering to me. I honestly don't think he plays tomorrow, but we'll find out. With him out, Dracaris Lavert started, played 32 minutes, did nothing. Drakaris not true. He had 12 points, he had five assists, he had two steals. It's worth holding him at least until the end of this three-game, in four-night stretch. Mobley had 21 and 10 with two blocks. Always seems to step it up with Mitchell out, which is interesting. Garland had 26, four and nine with four steals, and Allen had 14 and 10. But with Kevin Love out, we saw Dean Wade play really well. Now the opponents, they leave a little bit to be desired. 23 minutes for Wadey, 15 points, four threes, and two blocks. He was the starter before he got hurt at small forward. I don't know whether this pushes him back into the starting role because he played like no minutes the last two games. But it was a good performance. While well, as for Isaac Okoro, he started, he played 26 minutes and he didn't do anything. 5-1 and 2. The only reason to add Isaac Okoro, as I mentioned, was to add him for the three games in four nights to treat the three, ga- three games as one game. We are one game into it and it wasn't very good. And he's got two more games to add up to one game's worth of waiver value. If you had one waiver wire ad left, adding a three-game player on three low-volume days, Okoro was in that mix. It might be completely disastrous, but we're still in that mix. So if you drop him after one game with no ads left, it's not not why you added him. You didn't add him to play today. He is not very good, but the schedule favored him. We'll see what happens with him. Uh, Ravishing Rick Rubio brought the seven assists. That's useful for streaming, but he will probably sit tomorrow, would be my guess, given it is a back-to-back. For the Rockets, well, it goes without saying that Shingun was good. 14-7, and seven, seven assists, two steals, two blocks. Just keeps doing it. And then let's just throw the rest of this shit out because there was no Kevin Porter Jr., no Eric Gordon, no Jay Sean Tate. So then you look at it and you go, well, look, look at that. Look at Tari Eason. Josh, your guy, he did it. 18-11, and 11, three assists and a block. And I agree, that's a really good line. And I also agree with you that he's a very good player or at least a very good player in the making and someone that can have an impact on a team currently. But I look at this and go, all right, so we only got 25 minutes, despite playing like this, in a game that Gordon, Tate and Porter are out, and that um, Jabari Smith played only 9-10 minutes. It's actually a dreadful sign. Like, the fact that he played this well, still played only 25 minutes, and it took Gordon, Tate and 19 minutes of Jabari Smith to get here, makes me go, there is no way. There is no way that it's happening. Because if Jabari plays 30 minutes, Tyree won't play 25. and, did he even play any at the three in this game? I don't think so. Like, it is not a good sign to me that he still only played 25 despite all of those things happening and him playing that well. Maybe it's a turnaround. Maybe Silas goes, oh, light bulb. we should play him. But I don't think it is. I, I, I don't think it is. 14 and six for KJ Martin. Keep rolling with him while uh, players are out. We'll see what happens, but I'll keep holding him. And Jalen Green, oh, man. Oh, okay. All right. Jalen, I know I just dropped it for... um. PJ Washington, but. Sometimes it may be good. Sometimes it may be shit. This man is the most inconsistent player in the NBA. Six points. He's probably going to drop fifty tomorrow or the next game. Six points with three assists with no rebounds. Twenty-two percent. This whole team structure is dreadful. It's not good for his development. Maybe he's not that good anyway. But I think you still got to hold him because in punt field goal you got to, and in points leagues. But man, the inconsistency is a disaster. The other reason why we can throw this game out is Taito Washington played 29 minutes. And you know that when um, Taito Washington's in a game playing 29 minutes, that the whole rotation is not really serious. 10 points, 3-3 for Washington in this one. Well, Josh Christopher started and had seven points. Yeah, pretty embarrassing stuff. Next game, um, probably overshadowed a bit by the injury to Luka Doncic in this one. Unfortunately, I can't play the stunning sound drop because it's not stunning that he's hurt. But the Mavericks win against the Suns on the road without Luka and without Wood. That's a huge win for them. Bad loss for the Suns, who of course were without um, Devin Booker and Cameron Payne. Ninety-nine, ninety-five. Dallas wins it. Dinwiddie forty minutes, thirty-six, six and nine, five triples. That's a fantastic game from Spence, who's going to have to really step up. As are a number of other players. If Luca has to miss, I don't know whether Luca's going to miss. He has a history with this ankle problem, and it usually does cost at least a couple of games. Don't be surprised if it's a week to two weeks. I've got no evidence of that at this point. All I know is that the x-rays were negative, and he has a history of missing time with his ankle. So just keep an eye on that. I'd expect minimum a game. Um, Tim Hardaway is going to have to do more as well. 40 minutes for him. Now, he didn't step it up in usage as much as I thought he would. It was really Finney Smith who had 18 and 12 in 34 minutes who stepped it up. But Hardaway is probably going to end up taking 20 shots a game here. He had 11 and 9 with three assists. I think he's worth an add. And I think it probably is worth having a look at Finney Smith as well, who just is going to get by with a couple of extra shots if Doncic is out, which is enough to push him into 12-team league discussions. The guy who started for Doncic was Josh Green. He played 32 minutes, nine, four, and three with two steals. And if he does move into that starting lineup, there'll be Hardaway, there'll be Finney Smith, there'll be Dinwiddie, and those guys will all get ball usage preferences over Green. So I don't think he's got really a gigantic opportunity to step up into big usage zones, but in a 16 or in a 14 team league, Green will be worth a short-term stream. It's probably a little bit of extra usage goes to Dwight Powell as well. We had the update on Christian Wood at the start of the show. He's, out, he's going to be out at least another week. Powell played 36 minutes, had 15 and five with three blocks. That's two big games out of the last couple, out of the last three, I think it is for Powell. And while he's playing 36 minutes a night with extra usage, and he can be a nice field goal guy, nice steals guy. He added points and blocks here as well. He's probably worth a short-term 12-team stream. Block, yeah, I don't know. 10 points, two threes. He might be an ad. He gets hot, he gets cold. I'm not sure how much Doncic's absence will help him. And the other guy to watch is Jaden Hardy. Now, he didn't do anything in this game. But in other games where Doncic has been out, Hardy has stepped up. Now, granted, in those games, Finney Smith was also sidelined, but there is an opportunity for deeper leagues, 20s and 18s, to have a look at Jaden, who could have some 20 minute a night games and put up some scoring performances, but he played fewer minutes in this one than both Davis Bertans and Frank Nilakina. So I wouldn't be getting too excited there. For the Suns, 38 minutes for Chris Paul, 22 6 and 10. They're putting a lot of minutes into him because they, they need to win games. They couldn't get it done. Cam Johnson, must roster player. 22 and 8, 5'3, a block, 67%, must roster. Well, DeAndre Ayton, it could have been an absolute monster from him. Unfortunately, somehow we shot 30% from the field, including just every shot was a mislayup, basically. 19-20 and 20 with two blocks, and seven of ten from the line. It could have been huge. It's still big. It could have been huge. The most important thing is he's back. Well, we had 42 Mikhail Bridges minutes. 16 4 and 4 with 42%. He's been good this season, but he hasn't been brilliant, I wouldn't have said. His field goal percentage and efficiency has dropped way off, and maybe that is a function of the absences of Paul and Bridges, uh, sorry, Paul and Booker, but I'm a little worried that like he was getting by on 63%, two-point percentage the last two seasons, but if it doesn't get back to that level, when Booker comes back, if assists and usage do drop off for Bridges, he might fall significantly down the rankings. 16-4-4 is totally okay, but field goal percentage, no defensive stats, they are some issues. He's 59th for the season. Um, with eight and back, Biombo played just eight minutes and then all of the bench sp- spuds did nothing. We had 18 minutes of Damian Lee, 13-ish Wainwright and then nine minutes of Kogi, three minutes of Sharich who pre-game, pre Monty Williams says, man, he's been so good. We're going to get him minutes. We're going to keep him in rhythm. He played three minutes. Uh, five minutes for Dwayne Washington, four minutes for Saban Lee, four minutes for Jock Landale who did get injured in this one, didn't return. So just all those bench guys that were sort of relying up on Biombo and Lee and a little bit of Saban and Sharich at times and Kogi With that, Starting group, including Tori Craig, playing those minutes. Any of those players who you were trying, especially as Shariches, um, in twelve-team leagues, you can go ahead and jack those guys off. Then we do the last game of the night: the Spurs, the Clippers. The Spurs are actually embarrassing at this point. Um, they're, they're the team that's blatantly tanking in the NBA. Everything that they do is embarrassing. Watching their games is embarrassing. Their rotations are embarrassing. I hope we get some clarity at the deadline. I feel like it's going to be a shit show for a while, though. The Clippers beat them 138-100. Zach Collins, again, was pretty strong. Yeah, pretty strong. 7-10 with a block. Didn't shoot well, but was okay. Again, I think he's a trade deadline stash. But then who knows what happens after that. And that brings us to the start of Jakob Purdle, who they are murdering at the moment. 22 minutes for Pertl, 10-2-3. and three. No defensive stats. He's been disengaged for most of the season. He's not playing particularly well. Again, you'd think that a starting center should be able to put up good numbers and that a potential trade would make him a sell high. Well, it's not. It's the opposite. It's a buy low. I don't see how he's any worse than this on a new team. I think it's worse for him if he stays in San Antonio with the way things are going. There are people who want to drop him at the moment. Now, granted, he's the 71st ranked player this season, so that would feel foolish. Things are moving in the wrong direction pretty clearly. But I just think when you look at it, the way that people are feeling about the Spurs and about Pirtle and about then their fear of him going to a worse situation, I'm not sure that even exists. Like uh, you can get him for nothing, I think. Like it's not really. M- maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you can't actually acquire him for a cheaper price, in a trade. But everything just feels like that's the way it's pushing, and that would be something I'd be interested in, in trying to trade for him. For you know some of my worst players, if someone is willing to drop him, then they're willing to trade, or if they're considering dropping him, they're willing to trade for not a huge amount. So I would um, I would be getting interested in doing that, in acquiring him at that cheaper price, with no, um, old mate. Romeo Langford, Bates Diop started. He had 13 and six in 27 minutes. Like he's okay in a 14-team league to stream. But then Sohan was out and Richardson was out. So Malachi Branham started and had five points. Trey Jones played 27 minutes. Uh, Blake Wesley had six points in 21 minutes. Honestly, Pirtle is a guy I would hold in 12s. Um, Horsecock, Kelton Johnson. Whose horse is that? 19-3 three and three in 31 minutes with okay percentages, but no threes, no steals, no blocks. He's a 12-team hold. I think Sohan's a 12-team league player, and Collins probably is, but they're all back-end guys, and I wouldn't even bother with streaming in Bates Diop in a 12 or Richardson or Langford or any of these guys. I wouldn't bother with it. There's just too much inconsistency. It's not going to be worth your pain to deal with this stuff. For the Clippers, Paul George, 35-4 and 7-3 steals in a block. It's an immense game. Kawhi Leonard, 27-3 and 7 is an immense game, but how about old Bobbitt Covington? 21 minutes, 13-7, and seven, two steals and three blocks with three dribbles. The Covington line of old. Yes, he did make some hay in the final minutes when the game was over and it was garbage time. But this is three really strong games in a row from Covington. He's a top 120 player over the last week. My worry remains, how does he actually play? Where are the rotation minutes? Because Marcus Morris was out. So let's say Marcus Morris plays. Who is the one who misses out? Like Marcus Morris will come in and get his 30 minutes. You can't look at this box and say, well, Diabete won't play and Boston and Coffee and Preston won't play. Yes, because they played the final seven minutes of the game in garbage time. They are not a part of the rotation. So Morris has got to come in and take his 29 minutes. So how does Covington maintain 20 minutes? That means that you know 29 minutes of Morris needs to come from somewhere else. Does it come from the 21 minutes Norman Powell played? the 26 minutes Batoon played, the 24 minutes Man played, the 17 minutes Kennard played. It's very hard to find it. It's really hard to find it. And that would leave them with like an 11-man rotation, also something that's very hard to deal with. Now, he could very easily find a rotation spot, but the fact that Nick, um, Luke Kennard started in his first game back, Nick gives me an indication they want his spacing around Kawhi and PG. Norm Powell's ability to do what he does is important. Um, maybe they take Reggie Jackson out of the rotation and give his 18 minutes to Covington. That's possible. And again, I've got no, no worries. I know what Covington can do. I've seen what he can do. He has stepped down a little bit. And what he's doing at the moment is really interesting. But just don't be surprised if he plays five minutes next game if Morris returns. I wouldn't be shocked at that. That is going to be something to monitor. These numbers are unbelievable. They're great for fantasy. I'm having very little... Again, it's all about... And my, my number one piece of advice I always give to people when you're trying to work this stuff out is you've got 240 minutes, plan it out. You've got 10, 10 rotation spots, 240 minutes. Figure out how the minutes go. Okay, and this is not even including John Wall. Figure out the minutes. How does Covington get 20? When He probably, he probably needs 24, to be honest, to be a 12-team must. How does he get them? And you look at it and go, oh, I don't know if I can. I think that's what you'll find, because I do it. I do it every day, and I look at it and go, I don't don't know how. I don't know how it's possible. Yes, Kawhi will sit a game, and Paul George will sit a game, and Morris is hurt, and some guys in and out. But on a general basis, is he locked into an eighth man, seventh man, 25-minute-a-night role? And I think the answer is clearly no. Or in my Australian accent, no. Um, Not much else to talk about from this game. I don't think. So it's been a long show, even though there's only five games on Let's Go. Or six games, actually. Let's go to the lines of the night. Monstrous is Kyrie. Yeah, he was really good. The waiver wire is Bob Covington. The young gun is Jaden Ivey. Spent a lot of time on him earlier on. And the dud is the big fella, Yaka Purdle. Your top 10 players in category leagues, Kyrie, number one. Then Paul George, Garland, Tatum, Dinwiddie, Chris Paul, Julius Randle, Big Nick Claxton, Robert Covington, and Terry Rogier. Top 10 players, Ross in under 50%. Covington at one, Sumner at two. I wouldn't buy into that. Diallo, don't care. Burks, maybe, but I'm not super into that. But maybe in Detroit, there's some streamability there. Remember, he only had 15% usage and shot 67% to get that line. So that's a little bit of a red flag. Um, Finney Smith, yeah, probably worth an add. Um, Tari Preseason, I don't think so. Dean Wade, don't think so. Josh Green, 14 teams, maybe. And then Hartenstein and Sims. I prefer Sims over Hartenstein because of that minutes difference between the two. And then your top 10 players in points leagues today. Number one was Kyrie, followed by Paul George, Jason Tatum, Spencer Dinwiddie, Garland, Rogier, Claxton, Aiton, Brunson, and Julius Randle. And that will do it for me today. Sorry about going on for so long about that stuff, guys. Follow this podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and on the Odyssey app. And if you're here on YouTube, thumb it up. And leave your comments down below. Guys, we are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.